think we all know the pedigree of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology when it comes to bird resources, and we at the ABA are excited to partner with the Cornell Lab of O to offer an amazing deal exclusive to ABA members. ABA members can now get a 15% discount to any new subscription to Cornell's amazing new Birds of the World resource that is applicable for three years. Birds of the World is a powerful resource that brings deep scholarly content from four celebrated works of ornithology into a single platform where birders can answer all their life history questions for every species of bird they could want. It is extraordinary. You can get more information at birdsoftheworld.org. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. And before I throw into what is a really fun conversation for this month's this month in birding. I want to thank all of the new listeners that we have had these days, and I'll let you know about some other stuff that the ABA is doing in these corona times that you might be interested in. So if you are a newer birder and you're looking at getting plugged into your local community, which is absolutely something I would encourage you to do, local bird clubs and Audubon chapters are great ways to meet people in your area, but monthly meetings are on hold right now, unfortunately, pretty much across the US and Canada. So we at the ABA have created a virtual bird club hosted by yours truly every other Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time where we bring in a guest speaker and do a live presentation on the ABA's social media channels. So you can find those on Facebook, on Twitter, or on YouTube if you are so inclined. Our next episode is scheduled for June 3rd. It's Christian Hagenlocker who will be our guest. He is the youngest birder ever to tackle an ABA area big year. Uh, should be a great time. So June 3rd, put that on your calendar. Uh, the links to all of our social media accounts are in the show notes, but you can search American Birding Association uh, on any of them and, and find them for the most part. But wait, there's more. On Friday afternoons at 1 or 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Greg Nice and I, uh, you may know him, he's a somewhat frequent guest on this podcast that we haven't had him on here in a long time. Maybe we should do something about that. But anyway, Greg and I go live in the ABA's What's This Bird group on Facebook, as well as Twitter and YouTube to talk bird identification and take live questions from people watching. We usually go for about an hour. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, there you go. Uh, all the old virtual bird club meetings and What's This Bird shows are archived at our YouTube channel if you're interested in checking them out, though obviously not live there. So so there you go. We'd love to see you out there and see you following along. On the show today, it's This Month in Birding for May, featuring a panel of podcasters, Sarah Bloomers, Sean Milnes, Mo Stike. If you do not come away from this wanting to subscribe to their shows in addition to this one, I feel like I have not adequately done my job. We're going to talk piping plovers, birding apparel, Samuel L. Jackson, all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the third week of May 2020. This week was a win for the birding prognosticators at Cornell's BirdCast who took a look at the weather patterns in the North Pacific and said, this looks good for bristle-thighed curlew on the West Coast, and lo and behold, a bristle-thighed curlew turned up in Marin County, California. These handsome shorebirds, and yes, I do think it is appropriate to call a shorebird handsome, undergo one of the most impressive long-distance migrations in the bird world, traveling mostly non-stop 
From wintry grounds in the South Pacific to breeding territories in northern Alaska, they are capable of flying without stopping for up to 6,000 kilometers, which is about 4,000, not quite 4,000 miles. Their physiology actually changes to do this. They bulk up their flight muscles and their digestive system physically shrinks. It's amazing stuff. Anyway, they are extremely rare on the North American mainland outside of Alaska. And the last time they showed up in any sort of numbers was during what in California birding circles was called the Great Curlew Fallout of 1998. But what the birding wizards at BirdCast did was look at the weather and think, hey, this system looks a lot like that system in 1998. Maybe go look for bristle-thighed curlew. And birders did. And birders found at least one, possibly two. There are almost certainly more. Anyway, a wonderful fusion of a really cool bird and a really cool circumstance. Kudos to BirdCast. A couple first records to note here. The first is a white-tailed kite in Kachokton County, Ohio, that represents the first record of this raptor for that state. It fills in the gap a little bit, as there are previous records from both Indiana and West Virginia. And in Arizona, which does not want for great birds these days, a clay-colored thrush in Cochise County would be a first, though there was a previous account of this species from 2015 that was not accepted by the Arizona Records Committee due to questions of providence. It might be worth considering that one again in light of this recent bird. Interestingly, those are only modern records. There is actually a record of clay-colored thrush from a Pleistocene-era dig site near the Grand Canyon. How they determined those were clay-colored thrush remains as opposed to any other turtus thrush is well beyond me, but there you have it. And that is all for this week. If you want to see all the bird records, including those I did not mention here, head to the ABA Rare Bird Alert Hub on our website. You can find some. You can find a write-up every Friday. That's at aba.org slash rba. You can also join our ABA Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare, or check out our Twitter feed at ABA Bird Alert. Uh, but I'm really happy to welcome this month some people who, if you are not listening and subscribing to their podcast, you should be uh, first from Foul Mouse Podcast, Sean Milnes. Hey, Sean. What's going on? And next, a pair of women from a podcast whose name I cannot share here unless I want to run the risk of losing my clean lyrics designation from Apple Podcasts, <laughs> obviously super important, but I can good place it and I can call it the uh, the Bird Shirt Podcast. So listeners, use your imagination. You don't have to use it very much. Uh, the link will be in the show notes anyway. Welcome, Sarah Bloomers and Mo Stike. Hello. Hey. I, I appreciate you all being here and uh, regulating your language, even if I am handcuffing you. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. I made that joke. This is the first time people will get to hear me with like a clean mouth. It's perfect. <laughs> well, do the best you can. We can bleep you in some sort of unique birdie way. So don't, <laughs> don't sweat yeah. it too hard. Do we all get to pick our favorite bird call that you could use? <laughs> oh, totally. That would be perfect. Oh, We're going to save that. We're going to save that to the end. Favorite bird call for believing <laughs> you. <laughs> yes, but I it, thank you for all being here. And I, I want to start out with this AP piece that came out earlier this month. Bird watching soars amid COVID-19 as Americans head indoors. It's another kind of bird watching pun. We see a lot of these. At least they didn't use like people flock to birding or, you know, what is the flap about <laughs> bird watching? Oh, my God. <laughs> but as fellow creators of birding content, have you guys seen an, an increase in the interest in the stuff that you're doing? Because I have, at least for the pod, this podcast and the ABA's Facebook stuff, for sure. Um, yeah, we have definitely seen an uptick in listeners. And even just emails we're getting from people that are like, hey, I'm new to birding. I've never done this before. What do you That's recommend? Awesome. And <laughs> even just amongst my friends and my peers, I've been getting a lot of blurry iPhone photos. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, yes. It's a hey. of passage. <laughs> yeah. It's like, saw this bird. What is it? I'm like, 
looks like a bird. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Can't really tell. Um, But it's been really cool because uh, just getting people that that I know personally into birding or at least having them understand my unique hobby has been Mm -hmm. reassuring. And just to see it sort of all over the Internet sort of blossoming as well has been really awesome. Our listenership sort of um, it it flattened for like, you know, a couple of weeks there. And we were like, maybe we need to put out some more episodes. And then suddenly it just spiked. And and it's been it's been really, really steady since I don't know. What is it? The middle of March. It's been it's been great. And, you know, people are home, so they have time to record at our yeah. convenience which is even more fantastic oh, i totally hear that it's yes awesome i can record at 8 p.m and nobody has anything to do so it's, <laughs> it's beautiful um and you know everybody i know has seen a scarlet tanager in the last you know in the last two weeks and i have heard about every single one of them so <laughs> yes they're here yes they are red and black yes they're beautiful <laughs> thank you yeah yeah <laughs> what is what is the bird of the quarantine period like, is it Scarlet Tanager? Is that the bird that you've been getting people sending you blurry photos of constantly? Because I've been getting a lot of Orioles. Mm-hmm. It's been Orioles and Tanagers here. It's been, and, yeah. and occasionally, hey, I saw this really small yellow bird. Yeah, it was a yellow warbler. But no, but it was like this. But yeah, it was a yellow warbler. Trust yeah. me, it was a yellow warbler. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, those are the two. I think you're right. Like, every person's feeder, every person's hummingbird feeder as a matter of fact, has had an Oriole and a Tanager fighting over it. And it's baffling, but... We had our local coffee shop post a picture. It was just like, you know, whoever's running their social media page is like, oh, look, a bird. And it was a Magnolia Warbler. And (laughs) I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you just happened to snap a photo of Magnolia Warbler by your coffee window. At least it wasn't like dead outside, you know, in their window. (laughs) Because we get a bunch of those too. And uh, that's kind of a sad story that you have to tell people. Yeah, that's actually been a cool thing is that people, I used to live in Chicago and my friends in Chicago who are finding birds like on the ground, like one of them found a gosling that was like abandoned from its mother and like took it home and put it in his bathtub. And he's like, what do I do? And I was like, call Chicago Bird Rescue. (laughs) And then somebody else found a black and white warbler on the ground and an indigo bunting. And I'm like, you got to call the the people. So they've uh, they've been doing the work for me over there, which is nice. Yeah, Yeah, very good. If nothing else, everybody is getting a crash course on how to deal with wildlife right now. So yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's talk some bird news. This is a piece of news that I found. Uh, The American Ornithological Society kills the auk for a second time. (laughs) (laughs) In response to widespread member support and recommendations by the AOS Publications Features Committee, they voted to approve changing the name of the Society's journal from the auk to ornithology, extremely boring, and from condor to ornithological applications that will take effect next year. I was really disappointed to see them do that. I think the auk is such a great journal name everyone knows it i don't know why they want to change it to something as boring as ornithology i don't even know what they write about and i know the name exactly right (laughs) i think it's also hard because there's been i've been seeing more articles about fake journals or like really scammy science journals yes we talked about that last time yeah yeah that do seem to have credible names and so that just makes the whole thing even more complicated yeah, it's almost like they should go more ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah. who's gonna who's gonna fake a journal called the Ock? You know, you could fake one called Ornithology. No one's gonna come up. No one who's trying to scam you with a journal is gonna come up with the name the Ock. That has to be legit. It's too ridiculous to be to be faked. And to go right to Ornithology, it was it's so yeah. predictable and it's so flat. Yeah. 
It's so boring. It is so boring. We're perceived yeah. as boring people as it is. Like, come on, give us give us a fighting chance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe they should the, talk uh, to the, the journalists that are coming up with all of those punny headlines. Yeah, they should go up. like full bore into that. Yes. Yeah. Lean and hard. Calling, <laughs> calling all dads. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so this was one that was a little personal to my birding heart. Uh, I used to live Very in good. Chicago. Chicago was where I got into birding, despite coming from like a beautiful natural area. I decided that Urban Center was where I wanted to start birding. And last year, Chicago had a pair of Great Lakes piping plovers that nested on their beach. And when I say nested on the beach, I mean like downtown Chicago. <laughs> nesting on this beach, it's like 50 feet away from these outdoor volleyball courts. For those of people who aren't familiar from the story, last year the pair rested on they nested on Montrose Beach, so they got the names Monty and Rose. Mm-hmm. And Aww. this year they have come <laughs> back, which is super exciting. So they are back in the back on the beach. Luckily, there are no people there this year. There's absolutely yeah. nothing interfering with them aside from high water levels. And they built a huge enclosure area, a lot more space for them to run around in. Oh, wow. I didn't realize they did that. I know that they chased off a whole music festival last year. Yeah. It was my, so baller. They're <laughs> it was my, so cool. They're my heroes. Yeah. I love them. Yeah, I know. It wa- wasn't it? Like, it was a, like an electric. It's like an electric reggae festival. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you, Monty and Rose, for doing a favor to all the people of Chicago. Yeah. For society, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. And it was just cool. So that was last year I did some volunteering because they didn't, I mean, this was completely unprecedented. It was the first time in 70 years that piping plovers had nested in Chicago. So, like, nobody knew what to do. And luckily, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the Chicago Ornithological Society, and Chicago Audubon all came together. They built this huge, like, email list to get volunteers to watch them, like, every hour from dawn till dusk for, I think it was, like, four or five months yeah. until everybody flew away. And... They just like set up this little fake fence. But this year, you know, having known what I think was going to happen, they were able to really anticipate it. No people around. So it's been pretty cool that they came back, that they had a good enough time in Chicago last year. Monty and Rose decided to try again. It's a great city. They're making good on the range map for uh, on the Merlin there. Oh, did they did they make them change it? No, the range map shows piping plovers nesting in that area. But like. If it's been 70 yeah. years, <laughs> yeah, a little, a little there they are. <laughs> Need a little yeah. data blip right there. That's right. Yeah, do you know, right. um, are people, are, do they have volunteers watching them this year? Because that would be a pretty sweet way to get to Montrose, which is currently closed because of COVID. I don't think they are. It looks like uh. it's only professionals that are there right now, um, which is kind of a bummer because, I mean, migration season in Chicago is fantastic. Oh, yeah, Montrose in particular, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's just like purifier for the whole month. So it is kind of a bummer because the other thing that was cool was so many people come up to you and they're like, what's up with this fence? And then you're like, oh, let me tell you about these birds that haven't been here in 70 years. And then people are like, oh, and you do a lot of binocular sharing, which probably wouldn't fly right now. No, not good. So, yeah. In some ways, it's probably good that they're in the hands of the professionals and have like zero interference, but it does kind of hurt getting more people into birding now that people can't get out there and see them. Yeah. I think they made a movie about them last year. No way. Uh, yeah, because we were at the, um, so the ABA did the bird of the year reveal with a big party in Chicago uh, this year. And there were some folks that came out and like had, they had taken a bunch of footage and they were 
they did like a trailer for the Monty and Rose movie. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't know. You know, with the Hollywood shut down, they're going to be hurting for content. So maybe this is this is the year. Monty and I mean, Rose. Is it a romance? <laughs> it, it has it's to be. A romance, it has right? to be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, only one yeah. way to go with that. Yeah. Rom com in the yeah. making. <laughs> 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 Nothing like a birding rom com. I found this article. I didn't find it. This article was shared quite widely through the whole online birdosphere, as it sphere. you know, as it is. So it's called. Uh, it was. I, I'm not going to botch the author's name. Oh, it's Bryony. Um, Bryony, there you go. Thank you for yeah, knowing she's that. Been a, um, she's been a guest on the podcast before. Uh, the, the article is great. It's called What to Wear Birding When You Care What You'll See and How You'll Look. And I've seen, I saw so much flack, you know, being given on this article. Like, oh, what does it matter? You know, you're out there looking for birds, blah, blah, blah. And and usually I'm right there with those folks just like putting things down. But this one spoke to me. I'm, I'm here for this. <laughs> I care what I look like when I go out birding and I don't care if I'm going to get my photo taken because I think there's some there's some stuff being mentioned about that like what if you have your photo taken you're representing birding or whatever for me it's just like I want to feel comfortable in my own skin and I think one of the experiences I had when I first started birding you know I'm like I, I, I always wear black and I have tattoos all up and down my arms and a beard and i guess i look my fiance says i'm a little off-putting sometimes <laughs> that's and, a good sign and, and you know like but but it's already a really like tough it's like a tough world to navigate if you aren't just like a a, a white middle-aged person you know and mm-hmm. so i f- i feel like it this kind of article is sort of making it okay for these new people to come in and like be like hey there are other one people out there that don't wear khaki top to bottom <laughs> you know and like have like the zinc patches on their nose and pants. like yeah million dollar camera rigs and and all of that like it's a it, it, it this article for me is like a sign of inclusion that is missing in like has been missing in birding and is starting to change now and it's perfect timing for covid and all of this stuff happening so i was really psyched to see this article come out so so uh sean how many pairs of zip-off pants do you own i have i have none (laughs) oh no pairs of zip-off pants i know i'm the worst birder ever (laughs) so i i love this article but i will advise that no one ever wears shorts birding mo and i went birding (laughs) we went birding in montreal which you think is like city, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. We we bushwhack to this like tiny <laughs> pond out by the airport and I had worn shorts because it was like 100 degrees. I thought I was going to get gangrene. It was like terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, we still did it, but advising wear what you want as long as it's pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good uh, warning label to slap on binoculars at the at the store. <laughs> operate while wearing pants yeah uh, i always just wear what i normally wear which is usually jeans and, and sneakers yep. and a hooded sweatshirt most of the time <laughs> whenever i'm out birding unless it's too hot and then i will wear shorts i'm sorry sarah i will fight you on this. <laughs> just don't go bushwhacking that's probably that's probably yeah that's probably I a good think idea the hat is the most crucial thing for me i feel like no matter what else i'm wearing is usually for the weather i'm like a fashion over shame kind of person and <laughs> i think that like it's always like, what hat am I going to wear? Like, am I going to wear my Cubs hat? Am I going to wear my Chance the Rapper hat? Am I going to wear You really like, are Chicago, aren't you? I'm, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, went Chicago. pretty hard. No, I, I moved to Maine and I like bought a Maine sweatshirt and a Maine hat. And I was like, oh, you know, people probably don't 
do this here? Like, <laughs> this is definitely a tourist store that I just bought yeah. these things at, but I didn't care. I was feeling it. You definitely look like you're from New York City. Yeah. <laughs> Mo, let's talk about the hat and sweatshirt you bought, though. You ended up looking like a mechanic. <laughs> you did not look like a tourist. I did. Yeah, they were they were pretty um pretty asexual gear <laughs> that I ended up wearing. But that might be the most birding about them. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And my husband on the meantime, like he's the gearhead, so he's got the seven pairs of zip off pants. Oh yeah. And <laughs> dry wick, whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say that when I um when I'm just birding around where I live, I usually just wear what I would normally wear anyway. But when I do travel a bit to bird, I will pack my zip off pants because when you're outside for like 12 hours straight um and you're going through a lot of different terrain and a lot of different uh habitats and a lot of different temperatures it is nice to kind of have that option but that's the only time i'll do it like i do know people that sometimes go out into the field on like just a regular morning saturday morning birding walk and they're dressed head to toe like they're going on a on a safari and it seems like a little bit of overkill i'm not going to the jungle i'm wearing my vans and a pair of jeans and uh ratty t-shirt and that's that (laughs) yeah i do think that helps with inclusion too like people not afraid to approach you because you don't look like the super expert who's just come out of the safari for seven days yeah yeah absolutely okay i'm gonna nerd it up a little go for it yes um according to a recent study published in nature communications Scientists at the University of Sheffield have found what impacts how quickly a bird species matures. So the three things they found were size, safety of the nest or egg, and parenting all have an impact on how quickly they mature. They found that the bird species with the live fast and die young, which I think is amazing (laughs) mentality for birds, um, they develop really quick, uh, which allows them to maximize the number of offspring they can produce in a short time. There were two really cool things, though, I thought that came out of this article. So typically when we think of like development of like embryo to adult, you think like the bigger it is, the more time it will take to develop. Mm -hmm. This this study actually found that there is greater importance in their phylogenetic or their evolutionary development Mm -hmm. history rather than body size, which I thought was really cool. And they also found that there's no evidence in environmental conditions like temperature or precipitation that were related to development duration. Yeah. So overall, overall, this study is really important because it's the first to consider lifestyle and environmental factors in researching avian development. And it can potentially play a huge role in how scientists understand climate breakdown and destruction of habitats with bird development. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. Like they're going to have to put the time in regardless. (laughs) I like it. I love live fast, die young. I think more scientists should uh, aspire to um, make their, their work sound like uh, a fast and the furious movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so interesting that a study like this is coming out. Like how many hundreds of years, like research has been around the fact that we're actually like, Oh yeah. How long, how do birds mature? By the way, answering this question. Yeah, we're still answering this question today and they're still finding new stuff. So that's why I was like, wow, all right, we're going back to the basics and we're still learning stuff about birds. So that's why I chose this. Article. And uh, I really appreciate the 
attention to going for the academic study. And uh, I don't really have much more to say about that other than, <laughs> than that. I'm really glad you tackled it. I, I tried to read it and I read the uh, results and I was like, okay, I think I get it. I'm going to wait for Sarah to uh, to explain this one to me. And I appreciate you doing she's that. She's our science, our science uh, representative on the podcast for sure. Oh, yeah. I remember it. when we were doing an episode and we talked, we... I mean, because Sarah and I don't really know that much about birds. We're very research heavy on our podcast and doing a lot of the learning before we record and learning that the entire population of American robins turns over every six years. Like that's that's bonkers. What? Yeah. Isn't that bonkers? Especially. I mean, it's one of those things that like when you hear it, it, it's so so my thought process was like, wow, that's crazy. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then you hear about like, you know, all these yeah. seabirds that live for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years yeah, and yeah. they're just coasting out there. And it's just the the disparity is pretty astounding. Yeah. So when Sarah was reading that, uh, the first thing that came to mind was seabirds because, you know, they have a very, very long mm-hmm. development process because they, they're, they're big, but you know. It, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is like, uh, so albatrosses you would think would la- would have a very, very long, would take a very long time to develop. But I guess because the something as small as like a storm petrel is relatively closely related, they also take a long time. So it's not related to size. Am I explaining this correctly or am I completely off base? I think you got it. You cut out for a second. So I only heard <laughs> half of it, but I'm going to say you're correct. Okay, it's great. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> when in doubt, compliment the host. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, we'd love to have you back, Sarah. This that was perfect. I'm just staying quiet because I have no idea what you guys are talking about. This Birds, is, mostly. This is this like my my Birds, eyes just yeah, rolled burps. back in my head when you said phylogenetic, <laughs> and I just disappeared. That was like no idea. I came back for the robin fact, though. That was interesting. <laughs> like. <laughs> So I found this one on Audubon.org, and the title had it for me right off the bat. What are fecal sacs? Bird diapers, basically. And (laughs) right. So who's not going to dive into that article, first of all? And it, it was written a little while ago, but I think that specifically poignant right now because we're watching... I'm watching at least a robin build a nest, and I'm going to have to witness this behavior. You know, and we've... In Connecticut, we had, um, I'm going to tell the story before I even talk about this. We had sedrens nesting like two years ago, and it was really exciting. And one of the ways they knew it was nesting was because one person saw them carrying a fecal sac from the nest, and right. that was it. There was no indication otherwise that they saw a fecal sac, and right there, you know. So adult birds don't have these fecal sacs. It's no, a baby bird No adult thing, diapers. Right. So there's no adult diapers. <laughs> these are like... Apparently, it's this like mucous membrane that surrounds the uh, the excretion, the poop, and uh, and the parents pick it up and throw it out of the nest, or sometimes they eat it. Um, didn't know if I was disgusted by that or impressed <laughs> with their ingenuity. Apparently, because the bird, you know, the babies aren't eating, aren't absorbing all those nutrients. They're not digesting all the food, so it comes out a little bit whole on occasion. Yeah. So the parents are just taking advantage of that extra. You know, extra bit of protein or extra bit of carbohydrates or whatever are coming through, so that they can fly off and get more food for their, you know, their their little uh, open mouthed parasite for a little while. So it's like eating corn at a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> doesn't all get broken down. Oh man, yeah, that's exactly it. But Mo, I hope 
Yeah, no, Mo, you don't eat the leftovers. <laughs> no, I don't. No, don't eat no, no. I leave it. Mm-hmm. That's good. And uh, this is funny because I as we do the virtual bird club uh, on the ABA thing where we do like a live bird club meeting. And one of the ones uh, last month was Robin Bailey, who does Project Nest Watch with Hornell. And she was saying that she actually talked a little bit about these fecal sacs and how they work. And apparently um, the baby birds have a reflex that when they are fed, they like immediately produce a fecal sac. So the parent can come in, feed the bird, take the fecal sac out in one trip so they don't have to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and the nest can stay hidden. Wow, that's impressive. Do you do you know what the fecal sac is actually made of? It just says it's mucus. I'm going to leave it at that. I didn't <laughs> dive too deep into it. <laughs> well, that's, it is. that's so interesting though because like, I don't know. I'm like you could you could use that to like make other products, which is disgusting, but like if it's capable of holding their feces and it degrades, like I'm thinking poop bags everywhere. <laughs> yeah, those plastic bags that you there get at you grocery go. stores. <laughs> yeah. You just don't tell people where it comes from. Yeah. Mm-mm. No. You say it's you say it's earth friendly and biodegradable. And <laughs> so yeah. hopefully I don't really eat it up like the birds do. But. Yeah. No. <laughs> but you could though. That's the point. Yeah, you could. Yeah. You really want. Yeah. That'd be great for like carry out. Zero waste carry out. Yeah. <laughs> like dessert. Yeah. You like come home with like a ramen sack. Like <laughs> just like poke a hole in it. Well, that's <laughs> took a strange turn. But yeah, no, that's take a strange. Welcome to <laughs> yeah our conversation. <laughs> Okay, so as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are talking a lot about migration, a lot of great birds flying around, Mm -hmm. but not great at night when birds are susceptible to hitting all those buildings and big flyover areas. So the Gateway Arch in St. Louis actually goes dark for the first two weeks in May. I did not know this. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they go completely dark. And they they make a big announcement about it, and they make it clear like why they're doing it, and they talk about bird migration, try to bring awareness to it. I know New York City has done a lot of great things in the last couple of years to help with exterior lights at night, and other major cities I think is they're starting to become more aware of like this issue and try to make it more of a public awareness. So I just thought this was cool to draw attention to it, especially as we talked about too the uptick in birders. Now people can kind of maybe assimilate the two. But yeah, night migration is not uh, not an easy thing for a bird. Yeah, and if we can't do it now when people are working from home and not going into those uh, buildings in the cities for the most part, yeah, when are we going to do it? It's like the mm-hmm. perfect opportunity to, to make those changes. Yeah, I've Absolutely. heard too that it's tricky because for the same reason everybody else is working from home, it's harder for researchers to get out and do the research that they need to do on these birds. But I would love to know if we're having more success with those full migrations as a result of people not being in the cities as much and lights being off sooner, probably. Yeah, that's one of those things that we may not know until, I don't know, next year. We can like compare this year to next year. I was wondering the same thing about you know, would this be a good year for like beach nesting birds? Oh, we talk about Monty and Rose too. It ties into mm-hmm. that too. People aren't using mantras. There's not even, you know, not even a conflict for the most part. And uh, the same thing's happening in the cities. So yeah, you know, fingers crossed. Um, I think that they should actually uh, light up the gateway arch so that the birds can go through it as like an entry, like the beginning of a race. That would be pretty <laughs> sweet. But then you'd have to train all the birds that go up the Mississippi. And you have to orient the arch. I think it faces east, west, and then north, south. But that seems like a minor thing when you're, you know, <laughs> once you've turned the lights off, where, where you can go. There's totally tons of places, directions you can go with that. 
put the whole thing on like a swivel and just yeah like, oh totally yeah like a like a like <laughs> like a lazy susan it kind of turns they really miss the they could put like one of those like mario kart like cubes in the middle of it so the birds know <laughs> go to that <laughs> that's right i know the lights need to flash if it if the lights are flashing they have a better chance of reacting to them so the, you know maybe if it was like a, a lit up with flashing lights as like a runway they'd fly right through the middle and you wouldn't even need to train that's them. right and then you could put like uh, detectors <laughs> or something on the sides and then you could identify what birds are going through oh, your man. move cornell oh man <laughs> cornell we're here That's right. we got ideas we got ideas <laughs> tons of ideas we got poop bags and we got uh great way arch as a race track for birds <laughs> <laughs> they sound so great when you say yeah, i know that. right was, I'm, I'm less i'm less enthusiastic about them now but uh, i know um there was this Going back to Chicago. Sorry, guys. Here I am. Um, <laughs> there's this building in Chicago that has like this giant dome light on it. And when they first built the building, the light was actually so bright that birds thought it was the moon. Oh, so geez. they had to like totally tone the thing down so that they wouldn't get as confused, which is, you know, thank God somebody discovered that. But I just can't imagine confusing a light source with the moon, which just kind of goes to show how important it really is for helping them direct wow. themselves. Yeah, I know that in the fall when they do, when New York does the 9-11 memorial where they just have the spotlights where the Twin Towers were and they shoot them up in the air, the birds get super confused and they like, they get, start flying around in circles and they, you know, are attracted to the light to the point where, you know, I know that Cornell was looking at determining, using microphones to determine whether it was like a heavy flight night and then, you know, turning the lights off for a period for like 15 minutes or so to let the birds kind of get their senses and, and go on their way. seems like that's something that could be done or just leave them off like Chicago. <laughs> it's funny. I, I grew up in Missouri. I grew up in Missouri and for a long time, they did not put lights on the gateway arch um, because I don't think St- the city of St. Louis had the money to, <laughs> to put them up there. Um, so I was actually more surprised that they actually were lighting up the gateway arch. Now this was like a different kind of news story for you. Yeah, it sounds like this is completely opposite. <laughs> they, they're going back to how it used to be. <laughs> But I'm going to give you a question of the month, and um, I hope that you've been thinking about it, because I'm going to totally steal the one that we were talking about earlier. I know that both of you have podcasts where you are much freer with your language than uh, we are on the ABA podcast. Um, If you were going to get bleeped, (laughs) what bird would bleep you? Cat bird. Cat bird. Wow. That was so fast. (laughs) How did you do that? She loves cats and birds. I I love I love all animals, but a catbird is always like just a fun. Like, is it a cat? Is it a bird? So I was like, yeah, catbird. Go ahead and give it a give it a test, and I'll add a catbird, and I will bleep you. What the? <laughs> am I supposed to say? There Perfect. You go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really thinking about this now. I'm gonna say the common loon. Oh yeah. Because like, how one. creepy would that be in the middle of a sentence? Yeah, yeah. You could just <laughs> let like a uh, let, let like a. Go and be like, yeah, be like, I'm gonna go look at some <laughs> birds. <laughs> Just pop one of those in there. Or, I mean, second second best would be like a corn crake because they have super creaky, creepy, cre- creepy, and creaky calls. I'll have to look that up. I don't even know that that is offhand. Just sounds like no, no. It's like it's like super weird. Sean, it's up to you. For me, yeah, I have. I have two that I can't let go of. Yeah, I, I, it would either be a yellow-breasted chat because it's just 
when they're yelling from the bushes that would that's me just like hiding hiding in the underbrush swearing at people um that, that's me so or or yeah because i just am obsessed with the sound uh american bitter yeah just like just like a, a hard plunk <laughs> yeah I, every time every time i swear that'd be beautiful like I, it's every time i say <laughs> It's a kerplunk from an American bittern. Yep. There's a lot of audio variety here. Yeah, that's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Nate, what would yours be? Oh, shoot. Yeah. Yeah, you got to answer your own question of the month. <laughs> oh, that's my. That's what I get for being the host. I don't actually have to do the things I ask you to do. Don't worry, we'll call you out on it. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you have other podcast hosts on the show. <laughs> yeah, so I think a good one would be uh, American Woodcock. So if I were... Uh, so you say something, it'd be like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then if it were really long, you could do like the wing whistle thing they do when they're doing yeah. this play. Yeah. yeah. That's like a Samuel Jackson edit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Tired of these woodcocks on this yes. field. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the best line. Well, uh, um, thank you so much for, for being here with me. Sean Milnes is uh, one of the hosts of the Foul Mouths podcast. You can find Mo Stike and Sarah Bloomers at bird shirt podcast or i could say a bird and i can put the the, the woodcock in there as there well you go. maybe you'll do that yeah so um thanks guys hope you have a great uh, month and thanks for joining me thank you yeah thanks yeah The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are a nonprofit, membership-driven organization, and the best way to support this podcast and the many other things we do for the birding community is to join the ABA. You get magazines, you get discounts to our partners, and you help us do stuff like this. We even have e-memberships and discounted memberships for young birders. You can get more information at aba.org join. I want to make a special shout out to Wyatt O'Neill, Flood of Caldwell, Ohio, Skylar Cardell of Nan. Tuckett, Massachusetts, Scott Flincham of Roanoke, Virginia, Danny Christensen of San Jose, California, the Theo Goodwin family of Spokane, Washington, Joshua Malbin of Brooklyn, New York, Stephen Rabb and family of Issaquah, Washington, Amy Green of West Carrollton, Ohio, Charles Young of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Garner Stover of Mechanicsville, Virginia, Brent Merrill of Buffalo, New York, Virginia McManus of Foster City, California, Nancy Keith of Cinnamonson, New Jersey, Carl Huang of Pasadena, California, and Jennifer Walker of Olympia, Washington. All of whom joined or rejoined the ABA in the last week and donated the podcast as a reason. There are so many of you. No comment as to whether the move to a weekly schedule was entirely to break up these lists of people into manageable chunks. Uh, anyway, thanks so much. I'm glad you enjoy what we're doing here. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who recalls that when the entire ABA staff went birding with Samuel L. Jackson that one time, uh, Jeff called the flock of Dowichers long-billed, Sam called them short-billed. He was very magnanimous about the disagreement. My friend, this is just where you and I differ. Technical direction is by John Lowry, who actually pushed Sam on the identification a little bit, and let's be honest, probably deserved what came next. You don't want to mess with me on this one because I will come after you. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who are a little more, you know, kind about the Dowagers and are willing to acknowledge that they might be wrong, as was Sam at this point. One of us has made a gross error. You can find us online at ABA.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA. You know, tempers can get a little frayed. Dowagers are tough. They might need to go unidentified. We're all doing the best we can. Just hang in there, baby. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. 
Questions and comments can come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. We'll be back next week.